0: Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. 20. Manuscript Requirements When I started as a newbie, I understood nothing about layout of a manuscript. Writer's Digest helped with that basic nuts and bolts about margins, and headers and footers and title pages. When I started self-publishing, I read through the online distributor's guidebook to determine formatting. I applied that information to my own manuscript written in Microsoft Word. The formatting guidelines are free and easy to understand. I don't use any other software apps. Word does what I need it to do. I've investigated other writing programs, but steep learning curves An expense higher than two book covers keeps me from going farther than simple investigation. Some writers swear by Scrivener. Others swear by Vellum. Nothing, however, told me to add in the seven common elements for any manuscript. Common simply means that you will find these elements in all published works. Even if you publish independently, you announce your professionalism by including each of these. A good working procedure is to develop two documents, one called front matter, the other back matter, for any and all of your writing names. Update these documents with every new publication. Then you can easily copy and paste the documents into your current manuscript, already proofed and ready to go. First common element, a boilerplate. Do you know what that is? It's a unit of writing to be reused over and over without change. You will find it on the back side of the title page in any printed book. This boilerplate should also occur on the page following the title in any electronic book. You can model yours on the standard boilerplate in any traditionally published book. The boilerplate is a legal announcement. Use it. It gives copyright information as well as any other publication information, such as the number of the edition of the text, Copyright notification clearly warns unscrupulous persons that they should not reproduce any information in the work without written permission from you. Place the copyright notification at the top of the boilerplate. If you can't find the circled C copyright symbol, then simply type the word copyright. You may wish to place your writing business email on this page. Marketers, promoters, and licensors who are intrigued by your work We'll then have your contact information. Fans can also find how to contact you. Second, beneath the boilerplate is the disclaimer. All artistic works, novels, films, etc. have disclaimers. All characters in this book are fictitious, yada yada. Again, you can model a disclaimer from any traditionally published book. The disclaimer is more legal protection. Informing people that you used your imagination and theories to create the work, while your inciting situation might be ripped from the headlines. The book itself is the work of your brain, not a dry statement of the facts. Have separate boilerplates for fiction and for nonfiction. Yes, poetry needs a boilerplate too. More and more indies are omitting the boilerplate and the disclaimer, but I believe that wisdom requires us to follow time-honored business practices. That have proven effective in legal situations. Many ebooks place this information at the back of the book. Traditional publishers always place it at the beginning. Again, I lean towards standard practice. 3. Keep a book list of titles and their series. Your book list should come on the right side page, the recto, following the boilerplate disclaimer. Use a section break to ensure placement. This list is blatant author promotion, and it is time-honored. More than one reader has used this list to fill out the missing books that they are collecting by an author. Open any traditionally published book by a long-term author, and you will see their books, usually categorized by series or genre, and always in the correct sequence, not necessarily the publication sequence. This book list is an assist to readers, so the chronological reading sequence is important. Like the boilerplate and the disclaimer, you can just copy and paste this list into your manuscript, updating as necessary. On the back pages in many books published by indie writers are the detailed book list. The books echo the list at the front. This time, however, the point is to hook the reader by teasing them with the book's ideas. Thus, with each title is its tagline, or a thematic hook which can be as short as a sentence or an abbreviated blurb. Debutantes should snare fiancés, not murder them, is the tagline for my Regency mystery, The Key to Secrets. Writers can also offer a promotional glimpse of the first chapter in the next book. However, distributors like Amazon limit the amount of material in the back of the book to a length of less than 10% of the main text. In 100 pages of story, That means only 10 pages of promotional material. Fourth, acknowledgements and reader's notes, which can be at the beginning or at the end. Most writers and publishers place the acknowledgement on the right side before the book's text begins. Simple courtesy is to express your gratitude to those who assisted you with this publication before the publication is read by a stranger. Anyone can receive your gratitude, including babies and nappies and pets. Many writers take this opportunity to thank anyone who provided research material, editors who helped straighten out problems in the book, proofreaders, cover designers, and family. Some writers add a witticism or quotation significant to the story. As William Shakespeare said, So long as men can breathe and eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Your dedication gives the person life for as long as the page is available to readers. Another common practice is to place any dramatis personae, the cast of characters, before readers begin the story. The cast list should be brief. If you have additional information about the characters, your readers are better served by a detailed dramatis personae in the appendix. Maps are placed prior to the book's beginning. Reader notes, also called author's notes or notes to the reader, follow the book's text to answer any questions that arose during reading. Appendices are always placed at the end, following any notes. Table of Contents is fifth. In any good Word app, you can locate the Table of Contents in the References section of the ribbon. Really great software allows the TOC to be hyperlinked. Upload your document from that good software, and the online distributor accepts all of your links. Readers can click the TOC to go anywhere in your book. Writers can, too. I leave my navigation panel at found in the home section of the ribbon open. I can quickly navigate anywhere in my document. I did once think having a TOC was a waste of time. I've been proven wrong. Thanks to all the people who pointed out its helpfulness to readers and writers. Sixth, chapter headings and page breaks. Chapter headings should never start at the top of your manuscript page. When you wish to start a new chapter, insert a page break, hit enter three or four times, then continue with the next chapter. Naming your chapters is a personal decision, although they're required for audiobooks. You will need to mark them in some matter. Chapter number, name of the perspective, character, date, location, or a quotation, a snippet, or an entire, may be used. Mark your chapter headings using the styles in the home section of the ribbon. All of your text should be assigned to a particular type of style, which refers to a common form for the text. Normal is for the body text, your paragraphs, and the like. Heading 1, heading 2, and heading 3 can denote your major title on the title page. Major elements, such as acknowledgments or book lists and chapter headings, and heading 3 can serve for other things. To sign normal and other headings... Just click anywhere on the particular line or paragraph and the text will conform. To change the heading style, hover over any of the names of the types of headings and right-click. Select Modify to make specific choices as to font and paragraph spacing and more. When you assign headings, your word processing software will automatically create the TOC. It's genius! Page breaks are another matter. You don't want these to show as hyperlinks in the TOC. Devise a method to show the switch of scene or character viewpoint within a chapter. I sought for several glyphs to serve as my page breaks. Unfortunately, unless I save my document as a PDF, the glyphs turn into gobbledygook when I upload to my online book distributor. I understand that Vellum prevents this and creates a professional-looking manuscript I'm not yet willing to invest that amount of cash as well as the time needed to learn the program. Time is a primary factor for writers. You can create your own glyphs with symbols available in the Word programs that you currently have, which is my current choice. Avoid any fonts that are not true type and any of the unusual symbols. Those two should help you find something workable so that you do not resort to hashtags or asterisks. Whichever page breaks you create, Be uniform throughout the work. Finally, the seventh common element is a book of your book. What? A book of your book is a master book. Some people call it the Bible. In this, you keep all of your background work, character information, plot guides, special information, maps, images, research, etc. This master book will guide you whenever you decide to return to your manuscript. Want to write a sequel? Want to extend this single book into a series the master book should have everything you need much of the information in the master book will never make it into your book that's as it should be we want to avoid info dump 21 practicalities part one the previous section covered the seven common elements in any book manuscript whether fiction or nonfiction, prose or poetry, it's easier to say manuscript requirements, but then an explanatory paragraph is needed. Manuscript prep and practicalities part one and part two is information I've shared over and again since I started my own journey. No one considers these nuts and bolts until starting. The seven common elements have legal ramifications and offer promotional opportunities. Every manuscript needs them. Set up a couple of documents that you can copy and paste into each new project and your front matter and back matter are easy. Follow the information about the interior table of contents, using styles for chapter headings and having page breaks between chapters, use subheadings and styles, or set up simple symbolic signals for the breaks on a page. The most important item in the seven common is the master book. Here, are the nuts and bolts of manuscript preparation. We have to learn the basics of word processing. Whichever word processing program that you are using, Manuscript Word or Google Docs, OpenOffice Word, learn the basic controls that you will need. Virtually every basic setting can become the default for this in all later documents. I wouldn't create a template. Default is easier to manipulate if you need to switch things up. In the Home ribbon, Font is the eye catcher while Paragraph controls the appearance of the words on the page. If you click the little arrow in the corner of any ribbon box, a pop up window opens. For Paragraph, click the tab for Line and Page Breaks and remove all arrows. You definitely want to uncheck Widow Orphan Control and keep with Next. These two unchecks will prevent big gaps at the bottom of your pages. Also in Home is Editing. Click on Find and a Navigation pane opens to the left. Click in that pane on Headings and you can see every style heading that you have used. This alone saves you countless minutes searching for information. In the Insert ribbon, Header and Footer is your friend, for here you will find page numbers. For printouts, you should always insert a page number, just to keep everything organized. Ebooks don't require page numbers, so you need to remember to remove them. Layout is the next important ribbon to learn. You can change the default margins if you wish. If you are creating a paperback, then size in page setup is a great help. Once you have the template sizes from your online distributor, page size, gutter, margins, then you can manipulate your document to echo those requirements. If you want to create an index with columns, Remain in the page setup area. You will need to use section breaks before you create the columns. Finally, in the View ribbon is an area called Show. If you are inserting images or drawings which will shift around on a page, then select Grid Lines to help you determine if everything is remaining inside the margins. Second, use the most common fonts. When you upload an ebook to an online distributor, you don't want any symbols or glyphs to turn into gobbledygook coding. You've seen that gobbledygook, I'm certain. The ampersand or percentage mark that turns into seven digits of short code. Many more tricksy little symbols abound. You can see them on your screen because they are part of your word processing program. However, when your document converts to an HTML format or the online distributor's coding, The Trixie symbols convert back to short code. If you're not watching for them, you don't see them until you start a read of your own electronic book. Saving as a PDF will maintain the short code, but creates other problems. You can avoid the whole problem by using the most common fonts. As of this writing, they include the following. Times New Roman, Ariel, Baskerville, Courier, Georgia, Helvetica, Comic Sans, and Palantino. Other common fonts are available. You can run a search to discover which ones are current and which have fallen into disfavor. Palantino and Comic Sans, for example, are now considered dated. Some of these common ones, such as Courier, are downright ugly, in my honest opinion. We all have our favorite fonts. While you may prefer a different font, these create no problems across multiple platforms remaining on a narrow or a small screen. Third, Avoid fancy and charming glyphs and special images. Some layout programs, like Vellum, create a lovely document. An example is adorning chapter headings with special glyphs, roses, or swords. While these are beautiful ornaments to the manuscript, your online distributor may charge a little extra for each added image, and these glyphs are considered small images. Every image, no matter how small, adds to the size of the file you will upload. Read the manuscript layout information for the online distributor that you use. A PDF will avoid this additional problem, but other problems occur. The distributor may not want a PDF. The pages may look a little blurred rather than sharp and clear. Again, a little research may save you a lot of angst. Another element not considered an image is the dropped cap, where the first letter and the first word of a chapter is much larger. Again, do your research. As of this writing, some distributor programs accept dropped caps, some don't. Other problems with the short coding occurs with the dropped cap not appearing correctly on the page. If you are desperate to use the dropped cap, then check for this specifically every instance in the online previewer when you are uploading. For those who truly want special touches, consult a book designer who will understand not only the acceptable types of image files, but also how large such files can be, as well as how an image file can disrupt the flow of your words. Fourth, use page break for any new section. Have a page break after the title page, after the boilerplate, after the list of all your books, and after the table of contents, and any acknowledgement. Use a page break to reach chapter 1, a page break to reach chapter 2, and so on. Otherwise, let the text flow by itself. You will have breaks on a page within a chapter. These are not the computer program page breaks. These are a line of space that shows separation of text. The on-page break represents a shift of character perspective or a change in setting such as time or place. Fifth, let the text flow on by itself. Don't use enter when you reach the end of a line on your computer screen. Only hit enter on the keyboard when you want a new paragraph. Your software will default to have the next paragraph indent itself. Let it. Consider how you want the page of your book to look. Skim through several ebooks and paperbacks. Set up your paragraph formatting for single or double spacing and for don't add space between paragraphs of the same type. That's a little box. You'll find these selections in the paragraph box of the home ribbon. I do advise that you check the box that says don't add space between paragraphs of the same type. You only have spaces between paragraphs in business documents or in ebooks. Yes, I know your software automatically defaults to this. Your software, however, was developed for business, not for writers in the entertainment industry. Paperbacks don't have spaces between paragraphs. 22. Herewith, Practicalities Part 2. We have a total of 10 nuts and boats. We touched on the first five in the previous section, now we'll look at the last five. The section, Practicalities Part 1, specifically addresses manuscript issues. Practicalities Part 2 addresses personal preferences. For each of these issues, decide where you will land. Stick with that decision. You may not think you need to make any of these decisions. Readers, however, will notice if you slide around, following one method or the other willy-nilly. Oxford Comma or Not The Oxford Comma, with the aliases of Serial Comma or Harvard Comma, occurs with items in a series. Pens, pencils, staplers, sticky notes, and paperclips are necessities for every task. The Oxford comma is the comma immediately before the conjunction and. Some people believe that this comma is not necessary. Others believe it is required. Pick which side you land on. Two spaces after a period or one? This simple question still causes as much argument as the Oxford comma. Again, pick which way you want and stick with it. The use of two spaces does create a larger gap between sentences. When reading on a narrow, small screen, this can look awkward. Most writers have gone to one space between sentences. However, have you noticed that when you text or email, if you double space, the period automatically inserts itself. Two spaces may be coming back. Will you print out to proofread your manuscript or read it from the screen? People argue both ways for this. No matter which one you pick, Even if you comb carefully through your manuscript, weeks later, you will find errors in the uploaded manuscript. No one is perfect. We can get close. However you choose to proofread your manuscript, here's a statement that every professional agrees with. While the word processing program has an online grammar spell check, it's still not good enough to catch every error. While we have other programs that are available that help people with grammars, They're still not good enough to catch every error. English is a fluid language. Just look at the many meanings of the word close. Computers are not fluid thinkers. Not yet, at least. I personally believe that I find more errors on a printout than by reading from the screen alone. I do use both methods. Professional proofreaders wash their contracted work through an online grammar program before they spend precious hours reading a contracted manuscript. Your job is to present the best possible manuscript, whether that is to a pro-proofreader or straight to the readers. If you don't feel up to the proofreading task, hire someone. It will cost money. If you can't hire a pro-proofreader, then go to a local source. Whatever you do, don't let a manuscript out there with a vial, V-I-A-L, when you mean vile V-I-L-E. It's a huge turnoff to your reader. Next, readability statistics and passive sentence percentages. Here's a nest of arguments. First, how do you find these statistics? Go to File, Options, Proofreading, and check the box Readability Statistics. After you run a grammar, spell check. And yes, I would still do this. The machine does catch problems. A window will pop up with statistical information. The key items to note are your manuscript's reading level, And the number of passive sentences. All writers agree that passive sentences are to be avoided. Disagreement comes with how much effort you should spend to remove them. Basically, try to keep the statistic on passive sentences below 15%. Some will argue that 10% is a better benchmark. However, pushing to remove that extra 5% can sometimes cause twisted sentences that create awkward reading. Here's a passive example. As they ran uphill, the marathon runners were sprayed by a young boy using a water hose. Here it is as active. Using a water hose, the young boy sprayed the marathon runners as they ran uphill. The second nest of arguments often arises in critique groups and with wannabe writers, especially the ones who belong to the Alvary Tower world. Cue a posh accent. What is the reading level of your manuscript? First, the reading level of your manuscript has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has nothing to do with your personal reading level, which changes depending on how important the information is to learn. It has nothing to do with your education level. The only thing that reading level has to do with is the density of the difficult words in the manuscript. There are a lot of strange, made-up words that the program's dictionary doesn't recognize, and you can cause the dictionary to stop working. Crowd three-syllable words into long sentences, and you will automatically elevate the reading level. That's not necessarily a good thing. Obstufucation is not the goal. Clarity is. The flesh reading level usually will give an equivalent school grade. Flesh reading ease says what it means. Most readers are comfortable at a 7th to ninth grade reading level. The majority of American newspapers were once geared to a 6th grade reading level. Having a reading level at 6th to 9th grade is not a bad thing. You want to reach as many people as possible. Don't impress your reader with big words. Impress them with your ideas. Consider these authors. Cormac McCarthy, with No Country for Old Men, writes at a 5th grade reading level. J.K. Rowling, the first Harry Potter, is at 6th grade. The last book in the series is close to 8th grade. Stephen King, 6th grade level, J.R. Tolkien, 6th grade, John Grisham, 6th, Tolstoy, 8th, Michael Crichton, close to ninth; The Affordable Care Act, 12th, King James Version of the Bible. This can cause controversy because several websites list everywhere from 5.8th grade to 12th. That might occur because some books are easier than others. Compare Ecclesiastes to Isaiah Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea is a wonderfully rich allegory with symbolic dreams and lyrical passages and is written at a fourth grade reading level. Finally, save your eyes. This is the most important practical action you can take. Protect your eyes. They are the windows to your future as a writer. You are working an arm's length between eyes and screen, right? Get amber-tinted glasses or turn on nightshade to save the cones and rods in your eyes. Plenty of evidence has emerged that blue-tinted light, especially at night, not only disrupts sleep, but causes problems for your eyes functioning. The amber helps to prevent that blurring, which represents damage from overstrain. Use the magnification in your software. Ramp up the size of the text on the screen as far as you need to see without strain. Finally, take breaks from staring at the screen. 15 minutes for every 45 minutes. If you can't find anything to do during that time, take a walk. Not only your eyes, but also your tush will thank you. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at AOL.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends, or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.